Galatians 3 concerns justification by faith without any works of any law proven by several arguments. Here now the reading of God's holy word from Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree." that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not... And to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid! For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, 
that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus, Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Galatians chapter 3, a most important and edifying chapter of the Bible. I'll try to be brief in my comments, but I doubt I will. Here in first, verses 1 through 5, we have the first argument. The Galatians were converted how? By hearing of faith or by works of law? Well, it's obvious. He asks the question, and it answers the question. So he starts off with this sweet, heartwarming words. Oh, foolish Galatians. This is very emphatic. There's the word, oh, which he adds. Then there's the word, oh, Galatians. So it's, oh, oh, Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, he's saying. This is a very emphatic statement. You're not wise. You're not skillful. Rather, you're bewitched, he says. You are brought under the spell of a witch. That's what these false apostles are. This word literally means to use your eyes to enthrall someone, to kind of shoot out laser beams at them and cause them to be bewitched, which is what witches used to do to little children, supposedly, or perhaps actually. They had been bewitched. They had been told that their works added to their justification that they needed to go back to Judaism, be circumcised, and observed all the laws. And then God will accept you. That's what they taught them. They taught justification by faith and works mixed together. And this appealed to them. But he says, when you were converted, what happened? Jesus Christ was evidently, openly, publicly set forth to you as one crucified. Now, did he draw big pictures of Jesus upon a cross? No. This is to their mind's eye. The preaching of the gospel, the hearing of faith. They heard of Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified upon a cross to take the curse of our sin upon himself that the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his only begotten son. Jerome, the ancient commentator, says the crucifixion of Christ was as clear in your understanding as though it were taking place there. That's what it is. You understood the gospel. You knew the truth of the gospel. Then the apostle says to these bewitched Galatians, I want to be your student. This only would I learn from you. Please, I'll be your disciple. When you were converted, he asks them, was it through hearing the gospel? 
Or was it through the works of law that you were given the Holy Spirit and all these miracles were done by you? Do you remember when Peter went to Cornelius? Acts chapter 10. Did Cornelius get circumcised or obey the Ten Commandments or obey the light of nature and then he received the Spirit? No. You know what he heard? That there was one Jesus who went about doing good, who was crucified for the sins of the world. He heard about that Jesus, and as soon as he heard it, the Spirit of God was poured out upon him and upon everyone in his household. They received the Spirit, not by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. You've begun in the Spirit, he says. Okay, Galatians, here's my first argument. You started off in the Spirit... Is your fleshly obedience to the law going to somehow produce better things? Will you be perfected by the flesh when you started in the spirit? Does that make sense? Perfecting is where you go from a worse state to a better state, from a less developed state to a higher state. Which one's higher, your flesh or the spirit? So he says you can't be perfected by the flesh. God worketh miracles among you. Did he do that because you worked hard? Did you gum up the gumption, as they say, bring it up upon yourself and you worked and obeyed God and then because you were so obedient, he poured out his spirit and worked miracles? No. God sent forth the spirit by the hearing of faith. The word was preached, the Galatians believed, and the spirit was poured out upon them. That's a very strong argument, isn't it? You started off by the power of the hearing of faith. Are you going to be made perfect by obeying the law, by being circumcised? That's why they've been bewitched. That's why they've been deceived. You, he says, have received the Spirit of God through the hearing of faith. Then verses 6 through 14, his second argument. Abraham and Moses' law teach the same doctrine. Just think of yourself if you're a Jew in the first century. Who's your hero? Abraham. Who's your lawgiver? Moses. And Paul says, your hero and your lawgiver teach the same thing as I'm teaching you now. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Did Abraham do some great work to be justified before God? You know what he heard? Your seed... I will bless all the nations of the earth through your seed. And he believed the Lord that God would produce a seed to bless all nations. Who's that? Christ himself. He heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He believed in Jesus and he was saved. And that's it. It's told us that in the book of Genesis, the hearing of faith. So then verse 7, Paul tells us, they that are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Do you want to inherit with Abraham? Believe in the gospel. Do you want righteousness imputed to him as it was to you as as it was to Abraham? Believe in Jesus Christ. The only instrument by which sinners are justified is faith. If you want to inherit eternal life, don't say with the Pharisee, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Do you remember this? What did Jesus say? Oh, You want to inherit eternal life by keeping commandments, do you? Well, here it is. Here are the Ten Commandments. He gives them a summary of some of those Ten Commandments. And the man says, well, I've done that since my youth, which he hasn't. 
but he thinks he has. We must not have that mentality. What good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Well, you have to acknowledge you do no good. You are not righteous. You cannot obey his law. You need to look to another, the crucified one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the same one that Abraham believed in, and you will inherit. Notice verse 8. God prophesied in his holy word, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Do you think Abraham believed the gospel? He did. Some people will say, in the Old Testament, they had the law, and that's the means by which they were saved. Is that true? No. Not here. Not according to the Apostle Paul. He says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. That's how he was justified, by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ, by hearing the good news concerning the Son of God. Yes, we believe the same gospel as Abraham. We may have more information about that gospel, that's true. But we believe in the same Christ, the same seed of Abraham. So first, your hero Abraham agrees with me, Galatians. Why are you listening to these Jews again? You should be listening to me, he says. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify. Notice there, do the scriptures foresee things? Yes, because who speaks to us in the Bible? God does. That's right. The scriptures are God's word breathed out by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and apostles. So when the Bible says something, it's God speaking to us. Do you want an audible voice from God? Read the Bible out loud. You'll hear the voice of God speaking to you. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen by faith. The Bible is attributed with foreknowledge. Also, it says that the Bible preached, the scripture preached. The Bible then is the word of God. The spirit of God speaks to us in the scriptures. And therefore, listen, 1 Peter 1.23, the Bible regenerates people. Did you know that? It gives them new life. We're begotten again through the word that is preached by the apostles. The Bible is said to be eternal in 1 Peter 1.25. The Bible is able to save James 1.21. And God says that if you want to know about his name, his authority, his glory that he stacks up all his name and on top above he exalts above all of his name what his word the bible the revelation that he has given concerning his son this is what we put our hope in this is what we put our confidence in not in ourselves and our works not in men or traditions not in any other thing that may be good bad or indifferent but in god speaking to us in his word the Spirit speaks to us. Therefore, I say, read this word. Hear this word. Lay this word up in your hearts. Listen to it attentively. Believe its promises. Love the God who reveals himself there and practice this word in your lives. In thee shall all nations be blessed, Abraham was told. Genesis 12, 3. Genesis 18, 18. 
Genesis 22:18, the seed of Abraham would cause all the families and nations of the earth to be blessed. What about the law? Can we be blessed by keeping the commandments of Almighty God? Can we be justified and inherit eternal life? Moses, your lawgiver, says otherwise, he says. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Everyone, it's personal, isn't it? Every single one who does not continue, you have to persevere, it has to be perpetual, all the time obeying every single thing God has written down. Not just the law of circumcision, not just the law of the Passover, not just the law of the holiness code and the laws of worship, but the moral law, honor your father and your mother, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. If you obeyed all of those, you'd be blessed. But if you violate that law in one single point, what does Moses say? You're cursed. You're under the wrath of Almighty God. You are doomed to die. Deuteronomy 27, 26. That's where it's written. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in every single thing the law says. Now the Pelagians say that when Paul talks about the law, he just means circumcision and those Jewish laws. He doesn't mean the moral law. He doesn't mean the gospel law. He doesn't mean the two great commandments of loving God and your neighbor. But let me ask you, are those written in the law? The two great commandments? The Ten Commandments, are they written there? Yes, of course they are. So you cannot say that, well, it's just the ceremonies. I can be justified by keeping gospel works and loving my neighbor. No, you can't. But the Pelagian wants to establish the righteousness of man. So the apostle goes on to explain. The law is not of faith. It cannot contradict or disannul the promise that God made to Abraham. No, it can't. 430 years later, cannot undo what God already established. So then he makes a third argument by the analogy of a last will and testament and how that shows us the relation of law and gospel. Verse 15, I speak after the manner of men, he says. I'm going to illustrate in something from your life, something from everyday life. Though it be but a man's covenant or this word literally is diatheke. There is a word for covenant in the Bible. It's a suntheke, where two parties come together and make an agreement. You have a contract. Somebody's going to do some work for you. Sign on the dotted line. Seal the bargain. You have a covenant. Now, a testament, diatheke, means one person puts their will through. We call it a last will and a testament. I believe that this is a reference to a last will and testament. A man makes a testament and he confirms it. If that testament is confirmed, can I come along and change it? You know what confirms a testament? The death of the testator. When he dies, all of his last will and testament is confirmed. Can I come along and say, but he really meant me to have all of his goods and not you, Casey. He wanted me to inherit everything. Can I do that? No. The testament is confirmed. All the terms are settled. 
And therefore, if something happens later, it can't undo the prior testament. You know what he's saying? When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, he could not undo the testament of grace he made with Abraham, could he? They cannot be against each other. They must comply together with each other. And who said they couldn't? The Pharisees. They said those can't go together because they said that we are righteous because we keep the law. And God said to Abraham, you're justified by believing. Who's right? God speaking to Abraham or the Pharisees? Well, God is right. Pharisees are wrong. That's what he's saying. The law is not against the promises of God. It cannot disannul or make the promise of none effect. The law is 430 years later. God made this testament. He confirmed it in Christ, he says. The testament with Abraham was not a merely external covenant about national benefits for Israel. No. It was confirmed in Jesus himself, the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Do you see why the gospel was preached to Abraham? Christ was presented to Abraham. Christ was believed upon by Abraham. And when Moses forsook the riches of Egypt, it was for the reproach of Christ. And when they heard the message about the promised land in the book of Numbers, they heard the gospel preached to them in Hebrews chapter 4. The law cannot disannul or make the promises of none effect. Verse 17 tells us, The Mosaic law then is not a covenant of works. It does not teach a way of salvation by deeds. Rather, it teaches us that we who have been justified by faith have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, must be careful to maintain good works. That's what it teaches. Guess where that's from? The book of Titus. The epistles of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament teach the same thing. We who have been justified by faith must be careful to maintain good works. But if these Judaizers and false apostles are correct, there is no more promise for you. Verse 18, notice the apostle says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, and therefore not by what? Not by law. If the law comes in as your means of inheritance, the promise goes out. If the promise comes in as your means of inheritance, the law goes out. You can't inherit in both ways. You can't mix the two together. They are what we call mutually exclusive. The one excludes the other and the other excludes the one. You can't fit them in the same place. They may have different places, but they cannot have the same place. And so he shows conclusively, Abraham received the inheritance by promise, therefore not by law. And therefore we who are the children of Abraham do not inherit by law, but by promise. Well, Paul, hold on a second. If that's true, that we inherit not by law, but by promise, what's the point of the law? Why did God even give it? Verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? Why did God add the law? Why did he give it in addition to that testament? It was added, he says, because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise, that is Christ, the seed of Abraham, to whom the promise was made. 
God was preparing his people. Those Gentiles who didn't have the statutes of God, what did they think of their sins? Did they think they were pretty bad people? Not really. They kind of thought some people were really bad. Those people over there are bad. We're good. We're wise. We're righteous. We're just. Israel had a law that came in and said, you know, you people are stiff-necked. You're rebellious. You're disobedient. You're Sabbath breakers. You worship other gods. You worship the wrong way. You take God's name in vain. You don't honor your parents. You don't preserve life that's innocent. You do all these wicked things. The law taught them that. It was added in order to demonstrate all the transgressions of God's holiness so that they would say we need salvation through someone else, through the seed that God had promised to Abraham, that God had said there's one coming to deliver you from your sins, to crush the head of the serpent, to bring in everlasting righteousness. The law then is not against the promises of God. Verse 21 Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, he says. Don't even let that thought enter into your mind. The law and the promise go together. God prepares his people for Christ by shutting them up under law, by showing them their sins. Scripture, he says, hath concluded all under sin, Why? So that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given. There's your answer. The gospel is shown to be needful by the demands of God's holy law. Then finally, the fourth argument, the sign and seal of faith, which is baptism. Verse 27 For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment, like a robe, like something that protects you and that identifies you. That when people look at you, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Jesus and his righteousness. We have put on the Lord Jesus Christ and baptism signs and seals that very truth That it is not your righteousness, it is His righteousness. Did you know that baptism is universally passive? Every person does not get baptized, they are baptized. It is an operation done to them by someone else. Why? To show you that it's not your works. It's not your deeds. It's not your action. It's not your will. It's not your thoughts. It's God who cleanses you from your sins. It's God who puts Jesus Christ upon you. God is the one who cleanses and sprinkles us from all of our sins. And therefore, you have not become righteous by your own deeds. You have been made righteous by God himself. God is the one who justifies. Who is he that condemneth? And then he says... If that is true and we are united together in Jesus Christ and we're clothed in his righteousness, what of these distinctions of Jew and Greek? What of this distinction concerning bond and free? What of this distinction between male and female? He says these do not obtain here. They may obtain elsewhere. 
They may have different ways in which men and women relate within the scriptures of Almighty God. The same Apostle Paul who says there's neither male nor female says, I suffer not a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So just because we're not justified by being male or female doesn't mean that God obliterates our human nature. No, not in the least. God perfects our human nature. He does not obliterate it. But here in Christ, in the matter of justification, the means by which a sinner is just with God, it does not matter what you were before. It matters what Jesus Christ was before. And if his righteousness is made yours, God sees you in him. You then, if you are Christ's, he says in conclusion, then you are Abraham's seed. Then you inherit all the goods of God's testament according to promise, not according to law. And thus far the explanation of Galatians chapter 3. 